We're going to learn some history today. Everyone get excited. Courtesy of TB Palu. I'm sorry, TB Pulu. I have no idea who TB Pulu is, except for the fact that he wrote this really good science article that I'm going to quote from. Quiz, starting out with a quiz. In what year did we go to the moon? Very good. 1969. That was easy. See, we're going to do great on this. Was the computer invented in 1969? Yes. We have a yes. We have a no. That's a, that's a C minus for indecisiveness. Uh, just kidding. During the first Apollo missions, critical safety and propulsion mechanisms in spacecraft were controlled by software for the first time. Essential to the lunar missions was a now ancient command module computer designed, where do you think, at MIT called the Apollo Guidance Computer. Anyone want to guess the processing speed and memory capability of that computer in 1969? Don't waste the time. 64 kilobytes of memory and a processing speed of 0 .043 megahertz. Okay? For frame of reference today, you can buy a two terabyte thumb drive, literally the size of your thumb, for $29 on Amazon. Two terabytes, that's two billion kilobytes in your pocket for $29. And speaking of money, how much do you think, oh, oh, there were other computers at the Goddard Space Center during the 69 moon launch. Who would you guess made these computers? Random guess. I heard it, I think. I, the Nazis, who said that? IBM. IBM, right? The, the name in computers early on. Uh, the IBM System 360 Model 75S, even the name is complicated. It's a lot, lot uh, more complicated than Mac. Okay? IBM System 360 Model 75S mainframe computer made independent computations and maintained communication between Earth and the lunar landers. These computers cost, guess, higher. Three and a half million dollars, and they were the size of a car. Okay, remember, 60, oh no, that was a different, that was something else. These were way more capable in terms of memory. Their memory actually rose into the megabytes. Three and a half million dollar computer the size of a car. <clears throat> now, it's roughly like comparing the Wright brothers plane to an F-22, but consider what many of you have in your pocket or your purse right now. Well, I, there's probably, if your purse is like my wife, there's a lot of things in there and we don't even need to go into it because you can never find anything. Honey, where are your keys? I don't see them. They're in there. I don't see if there's like 4,000 other things. They're in there. And then she comes and goes, right here. Don't get in my purse. Okay, sorry, that's another inside look at our, our home and relationship. The iPhone as an example, okay? The iPhone as an example. And I'm going, I'm going back in ancient technology history for what I'm about to say. The iPhone 6, which was released in 2014, 
That's ancient, right? I tried to compare the iPhone 13, but I couldn't translate any of what I was reading into English. It made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. And Blake wasn't around, so here's the deal. The iPhone 6 uses an Apple-designed 64-bit Cortex-A8 ARM architecture composed of approximately 1.6 billion transistors. It operates at 1.4 gigahertz. Remember 0.043 megahertz? This thing is operating at 1400 megahertz, your iPhone 6. It can process instructions at a rate of approximately 1.2 instructions every cycle in each of its two cores. That's 3.36 billion instructions per second. The new iPhone 13, the A15 Bionic processor, also features a new 16-core neural engine to power machine learning and artificial intelligence tasks. That's scary. You should be scared. <laughs> but there's a lot of cores, okay? Translation for point. You would not be incorrect in saying that an iPhone 6 could be used to guide 120 million Apollo moon missions at the same time. Just imagine what the iPhone 13 can do. And the point is you hold that power in your hand every day. And the second question or a question is, what are you doing with it? Or maybe better phrased, what is it doing with or to you? And to the Torah we go. Parsha, Yitro, Jethro. You know the story, right? Jethro, here's how Jethro would answer my question. What are you doing with it? Here's what Jethro would say. It's what he told Moses. What you're doing is not good. And you remember the story, right? Moses is sitting. I'll, let me just read it. He came the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between someone and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law then said to him, That thing you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. How in the world do we make this connection? Well, beyond the obvious message of this Torah portion, which is about delegation, particularly for leaders, it's a, one of my favorites and also one of the more convicting at all times because I'm not the best delegator. Beyond that... This Torah portion is filled with incredible things. The Ten Commandments are coming, Mount Sinai, the ascent, that's right after Jethro. And we're in this section of the Torah where the, the deliverance from Egypt, the passing through the Red Sea, and now going up to Sinai, it's monumental. But I want to talk about Jethro and Moses. And something that is, you know, not quite as obvious, something that I think really helped me because I think it's imperative that we get this message and we act on it quickly. And what is that message? The message is, I've already told you, what we are doing is not good. 
and it's in three parts. Lesson one, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Number two, multitasking is a myth. Number three, lesson three, awaken the dawn. That's what we're going to talk about. Moses was capable of doing what he was doing. That's, that's apparent. He was managing an astronomical amount of processing, maybe not 3.32 billion instructions per second like, but he was doing a lot. And he was doing it. Okay? This was in addition to any and all other things that Moses was doing as the leader of the nation. And so he thought he was handling it until Jethro came along and said, Dude, no. No, this isn't good. And so here's the connection. Only that this story of, of, of an over-connection, that, that is affecting all of us. Jethro said, you can't keep this up for long, Moses. Something will suffer. Probably many things in your life will suffer. Moses had what I will term an over-connection. And we all have an over-connection. And it's affecting our lives because of that miracle machine that you have in your pocket. Stick with me for just a bit. There is virtually no time in a day when someone or something is not vying for your attention. And they're getting it because these miracle machines have turned us into Pavlov's dogs. Every beep, chime, reminder, text, email, phone call, almost every single time is a distraction to what you're doing, your work, your worship, your worthwhile relationships. But it's become such a part of our lives and so embedded in our culture that we don't even notice it. Just like Moses, who when Jethro said, what you're doing is not good, he was probably like, why, man? It's fine. It's great. Sometimes you need someone else to point some things out to you. But there was a time, not long ago, really in the big picture, when we had a connection. You know what we would do? We would sit down and we would talk to somebody. There was a time even when we might pick up a phone. You know, they were plugged into the wall back then. They didn't go with you. And you'd pick up the phone and you'd dial somebody's number and you'd talk to them. And maybe you might set up a time to get together. We used to have something called voicemail. It's like the Tyrannosaurus Rex, voicemail. You could leave a message if you didn't get, a, get it somebody. And even before that, there was something called an answering machine. <laughs> and the answering machine allowed you to speak on this LAN plug-in phone, and maybe they'd call you back when they got it. And before that, you know what you did? You had a little thing. It was called paper and a pen. And if they missed you, you'd write it down and say, hey, could you call? And so you see, you interacted. And at some times, this amazing, unbelievable thing happened. You would call somebody, and you would not be able to reach them. Does anyone remember that that used to happen? Now, if someone calls you, they don't, you don't answer. It's like, send them a text. Call me. Or they just unload everything they were going to say in the phone call into the text. There's no escaping anyone ever. Not me, brother. Mine's on silent. Okay. 
the 500 buzzes that happen in your pocket every day or on your desk, that's not distracting at all. I know, I know. Well, I need to stay connected. Moses probably felt the same way. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I really love going to restaurants and watching people spending time together. And by that, I mean, you know, sitting at the table, gazing into one another's eyes, having deep conversations. <laughs> yeah, right. I have seen so many couples not say one word to each other because they're on their phones the entire time. Worse, take it down a couple of generations. You get an entire table of young people sitting somewhere, and they are what I term, I like this, I came up with it, neck 90. Neck 90, you know? They're connecting. And we, like Moses, are overwhelmed with input. Now listen, I am guilty. I am so connected, it's absolutely unfathomable to me. But when I read those, that portion, for some reason, that's what I get. What you're doing is not good. And it like slapped me in the face when you're aware of it. When you pay attention to what I'm talking about, when you see it, when you are, are, are in touch with it. And I know this isn't a universal message. Listen, there's someone in here, I'm certain, who still has a flip phone, and maybe you're the smarter person, or no phone. So I know this isn't a universal kind of message, but I guarantee you it's the majority. And we need to reevaluate what connected means, not just to people, to God, and I'm going to come back to that. You know, but, but we need to be connected, we need to be available, and technology helps that. We are, we are connected right now online. Brazil, England, all, South Africa, all over the place. Technology can be great. We're worshiping and learning God together, uh, about God. And I mean, I love FaceTime, I love Zoom. Who remembers the Jetsons? That was absolutely unbelievable when I was eight years old that George and Wilma or whatever her name was could talk to each other on the TV. I was like, wow, that could happen one day. What if? And it does, and it's great, and it's incredible. Her name's not Wilma. That's Fred's wife. June. Jane. Jane. Oh, sorry, Mom. <laughs> sorry. We need to do our jobs well. Technology is part of that. And I'm not suggesting that any of us go in on Monday morning and say to the boss or your clients or whoever, don't email me, don't text me, don't even call me. I'm disconnecting. Probably won't go well for you. I guess you could, but I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> but like Jethro told Moses, what we're doing is not good. Just because we can be available at all times for everyone always doesn't mean we should. Did you hear that? Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And even more practically, this always on, always connected mentality leads to something that is supposedly a good thing. Multitasking. 
multitasking. Remember, the iPhone could guide 120 million Apollo spacecraft to the moon, and Moses apparently could, could handle all the people all along with all the other things. That's fine for the phone, but it's not fine for us, and that's what Jethro said. You can't do it, man. It's too heavy. Lesson two, multitasking is a myth. The ability to handle multitasks at once and accomplish anything well is a myth. And it is, I promise you, stressing you out. It is stressing you out and you don't maybe know it. Anyone ever heard of attention residue? Sounds gross, doesn't it? Residue is just not a nice word, but attention residue. You know what that is? Attention residue from a 2009 study. When you switch from task A to task B, your attention doesn't immediately follow from task A to task B. A residue of your attention stays stuck thinking about the original task. Research indicates that there is a 20-minute transition time between tasks to you to, for you to perform them most effectively. 20 minutes between taking one thing and starting another. Can you believe that? Well, not me, Rabbi. I'm an excellent multitasker. I can check email, write a proposal, respond to an email, send a few texts about dinner, laugh at the meme that pops up on my Instagram, you know, and handle a phone call all within a minute. You can? Lesson one, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you wouldn't know the difference because undistracted work is virtually impossible to imagine in these days. I want to read you a couple of things from a book I'm reading that's called Deep Work by Cal Newport, who's a really smart guy from Georgetown. <clears throat> it's a little bit of reading, maybe too long, because this message is long. I might have to break it up. <clears throat> it might seem harmless to take a quick glance at your inbox every 10 minutes or so, but attention residue teaches that this is not, in fact, any good. The quick check introduces a new target for your attention. Even worse, by seeing messages that you cannot deal with at the moment, which is almost always the case, you'll be forced to turn back to the primary task with a secondary task left unfinished, and you are distracted now. And that unresolved switching dampens your performance. When you step back from these individual observations, we see this. To produce at your peak level, you need to work for extended periods with full concentration on a single task, free from distraction. How easy is that to do in a day? It's not very easy. That optimizes your performance. If you're not comfortable, it'll be difficult to get your performance to peak levels of quality and quantity to thrive. Okay? That's one thing I'm gonna read you from there because it's really important. Multitasking is a myth and it's stressing you out. When you don't complete your work, when you're distracted and unable to focus, your work suffers. With every Instagram, email, pop-up, worse yet, the I'm bored, I'm gonna go shop on Amazon or scroll through Facebook, worse, every single one of those, you're diminishing your productivity for the things that you need to get done. And what happens when you don't do the things that need to get done? You get stressed out. Oh, 
rooted in technology and that little micro miracle in your pocket or on your desk. I know this, this first off, as I was writing this, I was thinking, man, they are going to think I've flipped my lid. This isn't what you come to a religious service for. What is a sermon? What is this? I'm a rabbi. That means I'm a teacher. That means that my job is to help you learn things and teach you how to function and prosper in life. And so guess what? That's what I'm doing. Because that's what rabbis do. They teach. Okay? So just listen. Forget about thinking that this is weird, because it is weird. Let me tell you some science. Uh, Okay, even better. Let me tell you some science, and I'll connect it to God, because ultimately when you look at science... That is God's incredible gifting that he's put inside of us with the master design that he made. Here's something cool. You ready? Also a bit to read, but neuroscientists have been exploring the physical mechanism that drive people's improvements on hard tasks. Okay. Scientists increasingly believe the answer includes myelin. M-Y-E-L-I-N a layer of fatty tissue that grows around neurons acting like an insulator that allows the cells to fire faster and cleaner. To understand the role of myelin improvement, keep in mind that skills, be they intellectual, physical, eventually reduce down to brain circuits. The new science of performance argues that you get better at a skill as you develop more myelin around the relevant neurons, allowing the corresponding circuit to fire more effortlessly and effectively. To be great at something is to be well myelinated. This understanding is important because it provides a a neurological foundation for why deliberate practice works. By focusing intensely on a specific skill, you're forcing the specific relevant circuit to fire, fire, fire again and again and again in isolation. And this repetitive use of specific circuit triggers that are called oligodendrocytes begin wrapping layers of myelin around the neurons in the circuit, effectively cementing the skill. That's the science. You get it? If you do something and you do it with intention and you're not distracted, God built in your brain a system that strengthens that ability. Distractions kill it. Now, I guess really what Jethro probably could have said is he could have said, Moses, son, listen, your, your, your oligodendrocytes are going to struggle to wrap layers of myelin. But instead, he just said, what you're doing is not good, man. It's too heavy. That miracle multitasking machine in your pocket or on your desk, it's a blessing if you choose to use it right. But if it's using you, it's not good. There's a way forward. And I could write a book about this. Maybe I will. I I would love to write a book about this because it's so incredible. I want to leave you with one application. There are hundreds of applications, but since we're talking about focus and distraction, I should just do one. (laughs) This application is beyond the awareness that I talked to you in the first two. Everything starts with being aware. Everything starts with being aware. What were the first two? I forgot them, because I'm distracted. No, I'm just kidding. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Two, multitasking is a myth, okay? 
be aware of what's going on in your day and night with what I'm talking to you about. Psalm 63 opens with this line, God, we sang it today, God, you are my God, I shall be watching for you. A more familiar translation says, oh God, you are my God, early I will seek you, which really captures the meaning better. And that word is shahar, to seek early, earnestly. And it's a familiar sounding word. Shahar has a parent, root, parent noun, dawn. We find this word in what we did this morning, shaharit, the morning prayers, the dawn prayers, the awakening prayers, you know, the breaking of the day, the time prior to sunrise. The psalmist tells God and us, he says, listen, God, you are going to be my intentional and early, earnest, first focus. Who else did that? Yeshua, Mark 1.35, the master. Early in the morning while it was still dark, Yeshua got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Psalm 143, let me hear your faithfulness in the morning, for I trust in you and my all-time favorite as a musician, Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, God. I will sing. I will sing praises also with my soul. Awake, harp, and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I have loved that from the first time I read it. I will awaken the dawn. But do you know the first thing people tend to do this day in the morning? And at night, for that matter, the last thing they do at night? I'm going to let you guess based on the content of the message. As a recent study just showed, 10% of people check their phones in the middle of the night, laying next to them. I said multitasking is a myth. Multitasking is a really bad thing to do when you're sleeping. <laughs> that is pitiful. I mean, it's, it's depressing. And, and this is a real thing. Listen to this, a real article. Quote, checking texts, emails, and social media can cause your brain to go into worry mode, Rogers says. If someone didn't text you back, now you're wondering why. If you get an important work email, now you're thinking of a response, and, and none of that is conducive to sleep. <laughs> really? Multitasking is a myth when you're asleep, for sure. There's a solution. Talked about sunrise, shahar, dawn. You ever heard of a digital sunset? A digital sunset. Did you know your day starts the night before? It does. Your best day starts. Listen to this. Deep inside your brain is the suprachiasmatic nucleus which operates a range of clocks, another amazing God design, running a variety of rhythms across your body. They're triggered not just by light, but a cascade of hormones and chemicals which signal that it's time to clock on for various functions of repair and recovery while you sleep. When one rhythm is disrupted, it can impact others. Your phone, your iPad, even your TV for that matter, disrupts those clocks when you're trying to repair and recharge. Did you know that? God designed it, suprachiasmatic nucleus. We see a man inside. No, it's not, I'm not going to do Nacho Libre this time. <laughs> okay, I am. His nucleus. All right. Suprachiasmatic nucleus. A digital sunset. 
The people came before Moses from morning to evening. It was a lot. Listen, we cram all kinds of things from our morning to evening, don't we? Work and every other thing and all these distractions that I'm talking to you about. Morning to evening is rarely nine to five anymore. But at some point, you have to stop. You have to disconnect. You have to unplug. You have to unwind and reconnect to what is really important. Now, I'm a big fan of technology. I really am, despite the words I'm saying. Until it takes me away from family, friends, and God. Put the magic, miraculous machine away. Designate the time when your sun sets and that you're, that you're always available. You're always connected. You're always here, this, there, la, 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 and stop at a particular time. 30 minutes before bed, if that's all you can muster. But I read on my iPad. Okay, I have an idea for you. Read on his pad. Okay, just put a Bible by where you put your phone. And at night, as you're trying to digital sunset your life away, pick up the Bible, read Psalms, read Proverbs, read Chronicles if you really want to go to sleep. <laughs> And you don't have to get into some type of intensive study. It's not that. It's just to disconnect with good things in your mind. And here's the deal. Instead of, I don't have my phone. Instead of the last thing being this and putting it down, I want you to do something different. I want you to do what I said. Disconnect, read, and then I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to meditate on your day the good things that happened, the things that were a success, the great gratitude that you have to God for allowing you to live that day and thanking him for the things that went on and asking him to guide you into the next day. And then you can look online. If you have a siddur, there's a, something called the bedtime Shema. You can read the bedtime Shema. It's beautiful. And close your eyes and check out and be done. Okay? That's a digital sunset. And then, and I'm almost done, I promise you. Lesson three. Then awaken the dawn. Wake up and check your phone. No, don't do that. <laughs> Awaken the dawn. And that might not literally be waking up before the sun, because I can tell you right now, this woman right here is saying, I don't care if he is the rabbi. I'm not awakening the dawn. <laughs> but she, she is up early, but I can't imagine Kelly, my sweet, precious Kelly, rolling out at 5.15. Yay, let's do it! <laughs> you don't even talk to her till there's coffee. That's the way it works in our house. <clears throat> but the point is prioritize yourself and your relationship with you and with God first it could be a quiet meditation on a biblical text it could be sitting there with your eyes closed and just letting thoughts letting the Holy Spirit bring things into your mind it could be reading. At this point, you could kick your mind off into some intensive study or prayer or do something except 
what most of the world is doing, which is picking up their phone, checking their email or their social media, or, well, I read the news on my phone. Fine, don't do that till later. Awaken the dawn, you and him. Because here's the point, and this is so, this is so incredible. I want you to get this, if nothing else. The second that you let someone else email, text, social media post, phone call, the second you let them into that precious space, it's gone. Their priorities just became yours. Do you understand what I'm saying? The word create and react, they have the same letters in them. And that's the decision you're going to make in the morning. I am going to take the time to create the rest of my day starting right here. And when you pick up the phone or an email or do something, you have driven yourself into react mode, not create. You are not in charge anymore. Do you understand that? Every text, buzz, beep, chime tells you, Pavlov dog, time to reconnect. Time to reconnect, time to get into the matrix and start prioritizing other people's stuff. You have a limited window in our busy world where you get to do the deep work with God. Do you really want to miss that opportunity? How many more days do you want to miss it? That window of time transforms a day. It does. From the evening until the morning, when you digital sunset and awaken the dawn, you transform the day. And transformed days make transformed years, and transformed years make transformed lives. Happy lives. Who wants to be happy? I do, I do. Too many people are missing that. And in my own life. I'm only now really getting intentional about these. And Jethro would say to all of us, what you're doing is not good. Make a change. So what, do you, what am I suggesting you change? Well, I want you to, we're going to, I brought some sledgehammers. <laughs> right out here, we're going to circle around and we're just going to, we don't need to overreact. We don't need to be delivered from our computers. We don't need to smash our screens. You need to let me be Jethro today in your life. And you need to be an adult or a young adult. And, well, and young adults, my goodness, guys. I mean, it, th this, this does not, it, this does not um, discriminate, but it's absolutely unbelievable to see the heroin-esque effect of digital devices on young people. Kids, I'm not even going to go there. But it ends with just saying, recognizing that we live in a remarkable time, remarkable in history. Things are moving fast, and yeah, not all in a good direction. These things today, what I'm talking about, they're very real problems, and they're going to get worse. But they don't have to get worse in your life. They can get better today. <clears throat> you see, God gave us myelin. He gave us oligodendrocytes. He gave us super charismatic nuclei. And he gave us free will. 
You don't need a science book to understand that. To choose what matters most. You may, you, you may have a lot less control of your morning to evening than you'd like. Your job may require an unbelievable or uncomfortable amount of connectedness, but you have certain control over certain parts. To do the deep work. You know, intentional disconnection could be the most intentional connection time that you have. You are in control of that. What we are doing is not good. We should make some changes for ourselves. I'm doing that. And I'm not asking you to fast. Caleb, I want you on a two-week fast from your iPhone, son. I'm asking you to be an adult, to be intentional and realize that what I'm saying is true, and we all know it, no matter if we're saying in our heads right now, he doesn't know my life, I can't. I do. I have your life. We need to make some changes. And just, just do this. Be intentional for a week about what I said. And see. See what happens. See how you feel. Most will hear this and say, oh, he is right, and make no changes. I get it. That's the way sermons are. But I don't want that to be. I want it to be a change. The ones who do will feel the difference, and that will be good. And I have a feeling that that will make our Father in heaven and you and Jethro very happy. Ding, 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 ding,